For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. The panel this morning consists of a couple of very experienced panellists and journalists in their own right, Mark Hinton and Sam Ackerman. Uh, Sam, can I start with you? Can I start really strong with the Warriors on the basis that they're going to go three from three tonight against the North Queensland Cowboys, can I? Yeah, sure, why not? Um, <laughs> look, it's, it's definitely achievable. I haven't been I haven't been blown away by the Cowboys uh, this season. I think that they're uh, they're hot and cold. They are in a pretty in a pretty similar situation to the Warriors, two and two. Um, and I think that the Warriors have got a decent amount of momentum and nothing to suggest uh, that this should be a banana skin game. The Cowboys are a good side. They've got some former Warriors in there um, that will cause some headaches as well. So they are a um, not a team to, to take lightly. But there's nothing to suggest that the Warriors are. Uh, um, uh, bubble was about to burst in the context of the, their performance against the Broncos wasn't one that like actually feel like they just snuck away with it and they're winning but you know they're ready to topple right now they're not creaming it they're moving in the right direction and the Cowboys are a really really good test for them at this stage of the season clash of the weekend for you then Sam yeah, because most of the other clashes aren't that inspiring. Um, it's pretty, it's kind of lopsided um, games as far as the ladder goes, and there's no one that I look at and go, I really want to see. Raiders Storm, the Raiders usually have a, um, uh, a pretty good r- record of stepping up their um, performance against the Storm, um, and I suppose that the Titans and the Eels is a game that could be a, a bit of a tri-fest, uh, and Broncos Roosters on paper goes okay. I just, it's hard to say which Broncos side shows up. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly the game I'm looking forward to the most and probably the most even-matched game of the round. We can't leave out the rugby side of things, uh, Mark, and um, it starts tonight. Quite a busy weekend, actually. Uh, all the New Zealand teams are involved this weekend. Uh, so it starts tonight with Moana Pacifica and the Highlanders. Oh, Highlanders actually on the TAB are a buck 06, which says they're unbeatable. I'm not sure about that, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're a betting man, Vinny you and I both are, um, you might you might jump on um, uh, Moana um, at those odds, and also maybe with the Port start. Look, they they've only got the one win, the upset over the Hurricanes, but they've been a heck of a competitive. I've been really impressed with Moana Pacifica, um, all things considered. Um, you know, with a roster of kind of bit part players and guys that were you know extra sort of guys from all around the place, and they've come together. Their culture's outstanding. They're their collectiveness, you know, they've got a lot of work to do on, on on intricacies of kind of closing out games and all those sort of things. But it's hard not to be impressed with them. Aaron Major seems to have brought them together really well. So you have to think against a winless Highlanders team who haven't played that well, they're half a chance. Certainly better than those odds. Your mates at the TAB, very generous there, Smithy. But I, st- I still expect the Highlanders to win. But um, I think Moana Pacifica are more than a sneaky chance. What about Crusaders uh, Hurricanes? Generally, uh, the Hurricanes and get up for a Crusaders clash, but uh, I'm not sure. I, I watched the team naming and I saw the reaction um, to the team naming, and most people are getting at Jason Holland saying, "When are you going to play a proper team? The, the right players in the right place." What have What have you made of that? 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, this whole Geordie uh, Barrett experiment at 12 and, well, you know, I, I guess if, you, if you're going to give something a go, you've got to stick at it and, um, and it wasn't a failure last week, but, um, um, you know, is that his best position? Is that what the Hurricanes are best served with? And, you, you know, there's probably other arguments around the, the, the field as well. Look, the Hurricanes haven't quite been at their best, have they? But they are. They do get up for the Crusaders, but like you, I just think the Crusaders will be too good for them. I think they'll be too well organised. This is the time of the season when the Crusaders start to shift it up a gear, um, keep things rolling. I think that, that sort of early rust starts to shake off around this. I mean, really, it's around, what are we, around seven or eight? But really, it's kind of like round four, isn't it, with all the stopping and starting we've had and, and ins and outs. So, I, yeah, I think the Crusaders will be too good. And I, I, I just wonder, I'm not sure that Joey Barrett experiment at 12 is going to be a long-term prospect. Um, yeah, interesting. I'd, I'd like to see him play well there, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Canes give them a shake-up, but, but um, uh, form and everything suggests the Crusaders should be too good in that one, Smithy. It seems a, 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 you know, a world apart when you look at uh, the way uh, referees handle both codes, Sam, in terms of league and in terms of rugby, and then you look at the way that disciplinary panels handle league and then they handle rugby, and one of the talking points this week has uh, been the red cards in rugby, particularly the one for uh, Caleb Clark. I'm not sure if you're, you're over this at all, but why, um, why in both codes is there such a differential uh, between, you know, rough shots and not-so-rough shots? Uh, the codes have always been similar, well, obviously very similar in skill set and, uh, and, and how a game plans out, but the, the approach to... Uh, whether you know what is a legal player and, and the approach to the what the areas of focus are has always been I always found really remarkably different as uh, as far as where the high shots in league seem to be um, because of the confrontational manner of the tackle rather than the the ball's acumen and trying to strip the ball off it always was uh, that way inclined and, and rugby now is finding itself through a lot of uh, body technique and body sorry, by, uh, tackle technique and body position and a little bit of uh, the same problems that league has been in, in previously, and I think the heightened awareness of concussion uh, and and the effects of that mean that we're all very aware of it. Uh, I think that rugby's handling itself pretty well, to be quite honest right now. I think the rugby league's biggest criticism has always been the massive inconsistency where if you got a punishment, uh, if you did a, a tackle, you could be maybe sinbin, maybe red card, maybe put on report. You might get one week, you might get five weeks. Who, who knows? It's a lottery given any given week and change of perceptions. The way that the uh, the past week or so has, has panned out with the, uh, the red cards and with the uh, the suspensions, especially the, the those three weeks ones we meted out, it's consistent. And if you're getting the same result from things, um, to me as a, as a fan, that's while you might be disappointed with it, at least it's not a, my, my team's aggrieved or, you know, it's not like the, when the Warriors go to the judiciary and they, they bring out a, a larger dice to roll um, to see how many uh, weeks a, a player's going to get. It, there's no uh, lack of transparency here, and if that stays, then people can't complain too much. Now, I, I, I tend to agree with that, and I read uh, also, Mark Hinton, where the Blues were fully in agreement with uh, the punishment dealt out to, to Caleb Clark, which I, around the country there's been sort of a little bit of conjecture about it, but the Blues support it. Yeah, interesting. I was at that uh, stand-up yesterday after training. Um, Daniel Halangahu, the attack coach, and Dalton Papali. Skipper uh, spoke to the media, and of course, Caleb Clark's suspension was a hot topic, Smithy. Um, 
And I guess we all kind of expected them to potentially be a little bit aggrieved, um, wonder, you know, about how um, hard done by maybe Caleb was. I mean, you know, we all know that his, um, yeah, rugby has a zero-tolerance approach to contact to the head now. That's clear. That's come from world rugby, and it's, it's clearly filtered down. Uh, so the sending off wasn't a surprise, but the fact that he got three weeks, which is the same as his teammate Nico Lolala for a really, you know, badly judged shoulder to the head of an opposition player, whereas Caleb, as we all know, uh, jumped in the air to uh, try and charge down a kick, and it was just really an accidental collision. Same suspension. So you, we expected the Blues to maybe sound off, but they didn't. Look, they look. They came in and said, "Fair and fair enough. We have to play our safety as paramount. We have to be more careful about when we're putting ourselves in these positions." So the Blues are on board. If they're on board, I guess we all should be smithy. Um, to me, it looked it looked like a, a, an unfair suspension when you compare the swinging arms or the shoulders to the head with with what Caleb did. But the end result was he took a guy in the head and, and, and badly hurt him. And I guess end result is what it's all about in rugby at the moment. So if the Blues are on board, I guess we all should be. Yep, I think it's a fair point, actually. And it's nice to see them supportive rather than argumentative and just getting on with business. As we have to do in terms of the news, uh, stay with us, fellas. Mark Kinton uh, with us, as well as Sam Mackerman. Uh, time to uh, pop into the News Bulletin Bureau, uh, where Aroa is waiting for us. The panel. We've got Mark Hinton with us and Sam Ackerman on the panel this morning. And uh, Sammy, uh, I'd like your thoughts on this. I mean, I was heavily involved commentating the, the Women's Cricket World Cup, but uh, I, was, uh, I was caught up in the wave of it, actually. I'm not quite sure about what people looking on from a distance were thinking about it in that respect, but... I thought it was pretty cool, and I think it's an opportunity now for New Zealand cricket to uh, get their skates on and cash in very quickly before the flame starts to just dwindle a wee bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that overall event and where we should go with our team, bearing in mind we weren't part of the final picture? Uh, first of all, the event, I, I can't fault it. For, for what it was in the context it had to um, survive in and the, uh, the red light settings uh, prior to the outdoor limits coming off, for the bulk of it, including the games that really mattered for New Zealand, uh, without without those restrictions, who knows what could have happened. But for what they were putting on, for what there was, it was great entertainment. There's a lot of high-quality games, uh, there were upsets, there was uh, reasons to be uh, engaged in games if you're a sports fan outside of just the New Zealand team. Uh, just take the West Indies, watching them go along um, alone was uh, was a cool rivalry part of England's recovery, getting themselves through the final after a couple of close losses. So great tournament, thoroughly enjoyed it, and congrats to um, Andrew Nielsen and everyone who put it on. I think it was a great, uh, a great spectacle. We have been traditionally, uh, whether it comes to winning titles or hosting events, crap at following it up as a country. Cash striking while the iron's hot, making sure that any momentum gained is uh, is brought in in any other way. Like take sailing for example, the America's Cups here. What happens to sailing outside of that? Where, where do we suddenly see any kind of benefit to the sport and to sailors here about really jumping on the bandwagon and watching numbers go through the roof, making it accessible? The same thing's got to happen here for cricket in this country. New Zealand cricket now has the opportunity to jump in on the coattails of what that tournament provided and make things as accessible as possible. I'm talking where they can and within resources and, and whatnot, but into schools is the place to be because uh, clubs are not uh, going to be running over, over winter, obviously, so you really got to get in and make sure you are 
uh, as I say, striking while on top and building up that profile. As for, for the white ferns, uh, there needs to be a, a reset in some shape or form. We know that comes uh, through the coach, but beyond that, where can we compete? Uh, how do we lift the, the standard? And Smitty, you were there and, and was know way better than uh, than those of us from uh, afar, but it looks like the, the money that goes into the professional game for Australia and England, to me, means that they're going to stay at that top echelon for a while, and while we can enjoy the cricket below that and there'd be some great encounters I wonder if it's going to take uh, a huge boost in that professional investment in Justin for other teams to be able to get into that stratosphere I, I'm worried that the rich will get richer Yeah I, I, I'm with you um, I think there has to be a real desire someone has to drive it from New Zealand cricket they, they really whether it's a committee or it's an individual someone has to drive it they have to drive it right now um, because now is the time yep. in terms of sponsorship in terms of interest that you really do have to cash in. Uh, that was a five-year, and they were at pains to point it out, Sam, a five-year exercise to get to that point of perfection, the Australians. So there's hope there for others, but it's going to need resources. Mark, what, what's your take on it? Well, for me, it seemed like the rest of the world has a lot of work to do to catch up on Australia. There was daylight, wasn't there, Smithy, between the Australians mm. who were so, so impressive and really everyone else. And they, you, you put probably England at the top of the chasing pack. Um, you know, they got through to the final. They were a reasonably well sort of um, constructed team, but they weren't in Australia's league, were they? I mean, it, was, it was just a masterclass from the Australians of consistency and of excellence. And the rest of the world, it, it is a concern when, when you've got one team so dominant in an aspect of the game. Um, I'm not sure we've seen it in the male game anymore and haven't for some time. So um, the challenge is there, isn't it, for not just for New Zealand, for for England, for everybody, for India, for everybody who wants to compete in the women's cricket side of the game. You've got to look at what the Australians have been doing. OK, they pour money into it. OK, they have a lot of talent. OK, it's a very high-profile game in that country. Jeepers, you look at um, India and the resources they have and... And even in New Zealand, I, I think we've got to find a way to be competitive. That's always been our sporting ethos, Smithy. We, we don't have the resources, we don't have the depth, we don't have the numbers of other countries, but we find a way to be competitive in so many sports. And I think that's probably the challenge for, for you know, the cricket bosses in New Zealand is, is to find a way. But they've also got work to do, don't they? They have to put more resources into the women's game. They have to try and ride this wave of interest and support. So there's a lot to do, and um, I think you know they need to look across to their mates at New Zealand Rugby. They're putting a lot of time and effort into the women's game now, and I think New Zealand cricket has to do the same. They have to say it's incumbent on us to, to put more resources into, into the women's game. Clearly New Zealand needs it, and clearly we need to build more depth and bring, bring more young players through. One worrying thing about that White Ferns team is that you know, there were a lot of players, um, you know, at the, uh, at the sort of um, wrong end of the of the age spectrum, shall we say, at the more senior level. They need to bring in, aside from the Southwaites, don't have a lot of younger talent coming through. So there's a lot to do, Smithy, and I think the Aussies showed everybody the standard to aspire to, and everyone else seems a long way off that. Hey, Mark, you touched on an interesting point there with uh, New Zealand rugby and the, the resources they've put into women's rugby, etc. Um, I... I was sort of aware of it, but I had it confirmed the other day by Michelle Hooper. The Women's Rugby World Cup, only in Whangarei and Auckland. Are you surprised at that? Yeah, I'm not sure about why that was and how much logistics played into it in terms of wanting to keep it all in one sort of area and everybody moving around. Um, I am surprised because you would think in a, in a World Cup, 
you know, you take it to the country. Um, and, and I haven't seen any, any breakdown in the reason for that, Smithy, so I'm a little bit, um, uh, I'm not sure on that one, but it, it is surprising because you would think if that, if that tournament builds a, a head of steam up and if the black fans can um, be competitive, and I guess that's their challenge and that's the great unknown, um, interest will bubble all around the country and and the fact that really only people in the top half of the North Island are going to get to see these games in person person, is a little mystifying but I'm not sure the reasons why Well I think it is too Sam, um, Tiger Woods, mystifying for you? I mean this is amazing he's he's in the top 10 after round 1 It's amazing and I I, I can't believe he's only in the top 10 I wasn't aware there's any other golfers playing this event I thought that um, it was only (laughs) Tiger Woods Uh, I mean, I people say that you know the, the, the Tiger Woods hype train is insane. It is remarkable what just his sheer presence. But this isn't just any tournament either. It's the Masters. This is if, if any golfer is linked intrinsically to the event, it is Tiger Woods and the Masters. And it's the you know, 25th anniversary of his first victory there. It's got so much incredible storyline to it. But I actually think that people said, you know, when Tiger's back, it's good for golf. This is great for Tiger and it's good for golf in the context of being watched. I think I feel for the other players that they are completely uh, eclipsed here and that they're getting to the um, to the media opportunities after producing you know, great results and saying, did you see Tiger out there? What do you think of Tiger? How, how's Tiger going? It is, uh, it's, it's gone to the point of eclipse, yes. Big circumstances, as you know, we thought he might have lost his leg at some point, and here he is uh, sitting in the top ten and, and being well-placed and looking confident at a, one of golf's greatest events. Uh, but you know, listen, the, the hype train is starting to uh, not just uh, take the other golfers with it, it's starting to run over them now. And Mark, I'll leave you the final word for today. Um, uh, Tiger Woods, uh, from your point of view. Well, I, I think it's maybe not just the sports story of the weekend or of the week. It could be the sports story of the year, Smithy. I mean, it's just incredible. The, the reason the hype is so extreme is because it, it is the ultimate fairy tale sporting story. This guy had a car accident uh, February of 2021. Look, he hasn't played any competitive golf in 509 days. It's just remarkable. They said, they told him when he was lying on the uh, gurney that he may have to have his leg amputated. It was so badly mauled and injured in that car accident. He's got a rod in his tibia. He's got screws and plates in his right ankle and his foot. He's four shots off the lead of the Masters after round one. It is an absolutely remarkable story. And as you know, Smithy, there's no stories in sport like the underdog fairy tale one. Tiger's always been the favourite. He's always been the guy you expect to do well until now. He's a guy that no one really expected to compete. No one expected to line up and and be in, in the mix. And here he is, which is a testament to his incredible fighting quality. So... For once, I think the hype is justified. I really do. I think this is an incredible story. He had seven um, uh, saves, up and downs in that round, which, again, is testament to his fighting qualities. He didn't actually hit the ball that well off the tee, which is which is his, his point of difference, but he still found a way to be competitive. Incredible round. Whether he can sustain it's another matter, but the world's eyes are on Augusta, and so they should be. This is a great, great sporting story. It is a great sporting story at a great sporting event. Gentlemen, thank you very much for summing up a, a number of topics for me this morning. Uh, this has been the panel with Sam Ackerman and for Mark Hinton. 
have uh, a great weekend watching sport, and I would imagine Tiger will be on the agenda there too, as it will for uh, the rest of the country. Will? It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.